This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Oman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA's Jesse Gersten speaks with Anirban Ghosh, Chief Sustainability Officer at the Mahindra Group. Anirban, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jesse. And, you know, maybe just to start us off, can you tell us for the, you know, the largely uh, American audience that tends to listen to this show and maybe somewhat less familiar with the uh, Mahindra group of companies, you know, can you just start by please providing us a bit of an overview on uh, Mahindra and how sustainability has become such an integral part of your operations? Yes, of course. The Mahindras actually are a very interesting group of companies. Uh, we started about a little more than 70 years ago, a little before uh, the country became independent. Um, the group of businesses <coughs> spans uh, businesses like automotive and farm equipment and agriculture and goes on to finance and technology includes things like uh, vacation resorts, uh, construction of buildings and cities, and has a host of other small businesses as well, including uh, logistics and even little planes and little boats and things like that. So it's a fairly wide uh, spectrum that has built up over time of about 20 businesses in the portfolio. The current revenue is in excess of $20 billion. And there are about 240,000 people who work across group. We call ourselves a federation of companies because most of the companies have a lot of independence to take their own decisions. And very little is mandated uh, by a center or a corporate office. One of the few things that do get coordinated by the corporate office is indeed sustainability. And we follow a common sustainability framework for the work that we do for the future. International presence is growing and we are present now in more than 100 uh, countries uh, with significant operations in uh, South Korea, in Turkey, in Finland, uh, and in the United States. Thank you. And I know sustainability is integral to the work of Mahindra. And, you know, the companies have signed on to a number of different sustainability targets from the science-based targets where over a dozen uh, Mahindra companies have committed to those science-based targets. I know to the uh, Energy Productivity 100 Commitment, EP100, to Renewable Energy 100, um, how are you able to take on all of these commitments with your companies and still be profitable as a group? Jesse, the interesting thing is the more you achieve these commitments, the more profitable you become. And uh, this work falls squarely in the space which overlaps planet and profit. So you can do both things at the same time, become more profitable, 
therefore become more resilient and competitive, and at the same time make a positive contribution towards climate action. Uh, you know that the biggest challenge we have uh, from a climate perspective is to become uh, net positive or net neutral by the second half of the century. Every single one of these commitments are actually steps in that direction. So doubling energy productivity, adopting 100% renewable energy, both of them help to achieve science-based targets, which in turn are actually an intermediate step towards reaching carbon neutrality, which we've committed that the entire group will achieve by 2040. So there is no trade-off here, and actually uh, more action in this space leads to greater profitability. Very heartening to hear that there's no trade-off between people and planet from your perspective. I think that's a message that mm -hmm. you know many are, um, are looking uh, to you to help really uh, pinpoint and really to, to lead and, uh, and to, to demonstrate. Um, and and you know, speaking of which, your chairman, uh, Anand Mahindra, you know, has represented the private sector in a number of high-level forums around climate change. So both in 2015 in Paris at the climate agreement there, uh, just uh, last year in September at the Global Climate Action Summit in San Francisco in California, he was also a co-host along with a number of others in the space. So what does it mean to have the chairman of your company on stage and so vocal about, about all the different um, initiatives that you're doing around sustainability? Well, it has two uh, very important uh, implications. One, uh, you know that you're headed in the right direction and you have the support. And second, um, we are a very large corporation. I'm sure we have a few people who wonder whether it is time to step on the gas or not. But when you have your chairman encouraging you to go forward in the direction, I think all the doubts get put aside and we are able to get far more traction than we would otherwise. It is a huge help to have your have the chairman of your company uh, openly support the cause. And I've also heard, you know, had the pleasure of hearing your chairman speak at some of these um, events. And I, you know, I have to say he's both very compelling, but also uh, people are listening. I think people are really looking to, uh, to uh, the Mahindra and to the Mahindra companies to help lead the way on a lot of these efforts. We'd be happy to. We'd be happier if there were many more who joined in the crusade. Uh, I know there are a lot of corporations around the world who are taking very good, very strong climate action. But we also know that we need many more to join the crusade if we are to win this uh, battle against the climate. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, since this is a journey that you've been now going down for a number of years, you know, for other companies that are looking to you, um, what do you hope that they can learn from the success uh, that you've been, um, the, the success that you've been gathering uh, and all the, the lessons you've been uh, learning about sustainability? Are there specific lessons that you can share uh, about what has not worked along? You know, the biggest lesson that we can share is that uh, it's once you get started, you realize that a lot more is possible than what you originally thought you would be able to do. It's been a consistent refrain, not only within our corporation, 
but in many other corporations where we've made modest starts. But once we've started, we've realized that a lot more action is possible without putting the business into any sort of distress. In fact, uh, it actually helps strengthen the business. So we would just urge uh, any organization to get started because you would then discover that the path ahead is really not difficult. Today, we are enabled by a lot of new technologies, which we didn't have 10 years ago. So if we wanted to double energy productivity and started 10 years ago, or maybe a little bit more, say 20 years ago, it would have been an uphill task. But it's not today, because there are a lot of technologies that are available. So single message, get started. You'll discover you can do lots more than you thought you could, and you will help your business become stronger. Well, and can you speak to some of the specific initiatives that your companies have taken on in terms of sustainability? Uh, what are those? What are those? What are the more specific initiatives? Just to um, you know, to be clear on what you've actually taken on. So, uh, if I were to look at the body of work that is uh, related to the planet and reducing carbon footprint, step one is always to get started with energy efficiency. And at the same time, if the, if the circumstances allow, to get going with renewable energy. Um, in energy efficiency, the easiest one to do is to uh, move lighting from conventional to LED. It's such a no-brainer today that I don't think there should be any uh, lighting fixture other than LED anywhere in the world. The costs are down, the savings are obvious, the returns are fantastic. If there are factories running, then there are immense possibilities in uh, energy-efficient motors and other energy-efficient uh, equipment, which were not available some years ago but are available now. Uh, even if you were not to replace the equipment, it is possible to run them in a more energy-efficient manner simply by taking uh, some steps by which idle time is reduced, and uh, the machines work when they are required, and the machines work at uh, the sort of loading at which they are optimally uh, energy efficient. Uh, the way factories have been designed, uh, one opportunity that always presents itself in any factory is that of heat recovery. We've seen in our factories that there are places where we are, uh, where heat is generated as a byproduct and is not reused and other places in the factory where you actually spend energy to generate heat for a particular process. Wherever it's possible, if you bring the two together, the savings in energy are huge. And this is why on a base of 2009, our automobile business now manufactures vehicles with half the energy that they did in 2009. And they are saying that they will be able to go forward and probably halve that as well because of the technologies that are available. I mustn't miss out on air conditioning, where again, technologies have moved forward sharply. And today you're able to air condition the same space in a far more efficient manner, 30 to 40% greater efficiency, I'm told. And the amount of energy that is used for cooling in the tropical regions is phenomenally high. 
Similarly, uh, similar is the uh, energy used for heating in uh, colder climates. And the use of heat pumps and other technologies today can bring the energy consumption down sharply. As you can see, there are many, many, many possibilities in the energy efficiency space, and all of which give very high returns on investment. And, you know, not making these investments as quickly as possible is definitely not good for the planet. Simultaneously, if you were to look at uh, adopting renewable energy, which again, in many countries of the world, is more economical than using conventional energy, then the rate at which the carbon footprint is reduced and we can move towards net neutrality accelerates really sharply. If you take both of these uh, and do it as much as you can, uh, given existing technologies, we will still not be zero carbon, which means some of the carbon we will still have to sequester. And there is no better way than to do it uh, through trees and by cleaning up our oceans. Um, in Mahindra, we have a very robust uh, plantation program. We are currently doing about 2 million trees a year. Over time, we've done 15 million trees. As of now, we haven't uh, used any carbon credits or offsets from these trees. We've just been doing them because we know that trees are good for the environment. Going forward in our carbon neutrality journey, we will look at the plantations in a way in which everything is kosher, approved by UNFCCC and whoever is the relevant body, so that you know it has high impact on climate. So these are ways, some of the ways, uh, in which one can move towards net neutrality. In fact, plantations have other wondrous benefits for a business. I mean, if it is large enough, you will reduce ambient temperature by anywhere up to two to three degrees centigrade you will reduce uh, dust levels in the air. That's had magical impact on the product quality in our engine plant and makes the cities that we build a little bit cooler than uh, the areas around the city, which is always better, you know, in a tropical climate, which, gets, which tends to get really hot. So these are some of the ways in which we can take strong action on climate uh, that will benefit people, that will help us earn more money, and uh, you know, ensure that we are moving towards net neutrality. So starting with the energy and starting with your manufacturing and really working at efficiency and renewables, but then as you say, you're really branching out beyond that and really looking at uh, mitigating uh, through initiatives like uh, like the forest and, and tree planting, and it's really quite impressive work that you've been doing. Um, you know, another another item that I wanted to bring up, another question that I wanted to bring up, is you use an internal carbon price, an internal carbon price for accounting purposes at, I believe, three of the Mahindra Group companies. Um, uh, why do you why do you do this? Why is internal carbon something that you account for? Uh, at, at your companies, and why do you believe that investors are looking to that as a way to help measure uh, environmental, social, and, and governance measures uh, in terms of uh, evaluating, um, you know, the counting and the value of of a company? So, I think I'm going to share with you something about carbon prices which you don't normally hear in a regular discourse on carbon pricing. Everything you hear 
about adopting the cleaner option, reducing risk, et cetera. It's all true. But here's what it does within the corporation. The way we've implemented carbon pricing is that we've committed to invest $10 for every ton of carbon that we emit into technologies that help reduce the carbon footprint. Now, once we've made this commitment, since we already know what our emissions were the previous year, the, the amount of money that will be available for investment is reasonably clear in the uh, following financial year. Now, our sustainability folks and our project folks don't have to go and negotiate for every single project and seek investment. They know that there is a kitty of money available, and if they put up a project which meets all the necessary parameters, they don't have to waste time in negotiating with asset management or capital purchases uh, for every single project. This frees up their time to generate more projects, and this is why our ability to invest in the space has increased more than 10 times since the time the carbon price was uh, put into place. And the number of projects that we've been able to do has gone from low double digits to reasonably high, uh, say, into triple digits now. So more than 100 projects every year in the space of energy efficiency and renewable energy, simply because the internal carbon price has made sure that there is a certain amount of money already available for investments. I can't tell you how much that uh, increases productivity of the organization. As far as the investors are concerned, I think they've always wanted to see whether an organization is going to be profitable in the short run and will continue to exist in the long run. All that's happened is a few new variables have gotten added on to the ones that they had to look at earlier to take both these calls. So we know that in this uh, scenario of climate change, if a corporation has to ensure that it is sustainable in the future, then it must do all the good things that it was doing in the past, but at the same time, rejuvenate the environment and be very conscious about the community in which it works. So this, to my mind, is why investors look at it, because it's a couple of extra things that need to be done to ensure that short-term profitability and long-term sustenance are not at risk. It's an evolving area of uh, knowledge and information, and I'm happy whichever investors are already including it in their assessment of sustainability of an organization uh, it's a wonderful thing. It's still early days, and I wish more investors would come on board. That's fascinating. And, and if I understand what you're saying, in a way, when you're describing this $10 per ton that you are investing into uh, technologies, in a way, have you almost created your own internal carbon market by one regard? Uh, yes and no. Uh, we are actually, you know, every time you talk talk about a market or anyone talks about a market, the first thing we think of is trading. Trading today is very far away from our minds. And the reason is very simple. If the goal is to, uh, is to become net neutral, then I don't think we should be trading anything till we are net neutral. 
and I nobody is close to being net neutral today. So uh, in a world where all of us are moving or trying to move towards net neutrality, while it is very attractive to talk about markets, if we factor in that each of us have to become net neutral, then starting to trade before you become net neutral doesn't seem to make sense uh, to me, which is probably why Article 6 is going through all the complications that it is going through right now. And uh, the way we look at it is never mind what Article 6 is saying. If every jurisdiction, if every country, if every region, if every corporation were to keep moving towards net neutrality, we will be enabling the success of the Paris Agreement. Uh, I'm sure the markets will happen at some time and we will use it in a good way. But right now, the goal should be about reducing carbon footprint as much as possible. Well, I completely agree with that and, and understand, uh, understand the approach and really um, the need to not get into trading right now and really just focus on that carbon price and more of the investment side. If, if, I, can, if I can shift the questions just a little bit, uh, I do want to ask a little bit more about yourself uh, and your, how you got into this field and your journey into sustainability. So, you know, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in sustainability and how you um, have become, uh, you know, a leader in such a vast, uh, you know, successful business enterprise? I suspect it would be fair to say that it was because of a, a series of fortuitous accidents. Uh, I've spent most of my time at Mahindra. I've been here for 20 years now in our farm equipment business. And there were two things that would drive us there. One was uh, that we wanted to ensure a greater agriculture resilience within the country. And we knew that uh, agriculture mechanization would play a great role and therefore that was the primary purpose for the business. So it was a very high degree of motivation for all of us. At the same time, one of our presidents had set the goal of becoming the largest tractor manufacturer in the world and that too was very inspiring. Now as we went along that journey, uh, we realized that demand for tractors was directly proportional to availability of water. And so our interest in water grew uh, very rapidly. As a result of which, we invested in micro-irrigation, the only technology by which you can be water efficient in agriculture. And while getting into micro-irrigation, we said, well, this is a way to manage water better. What if there was no water available? And that took us into water harnessing. Uh, and we are doing a few projects in that area, but the country is so large, I don't think one corporation can solve the problem on its own. But as we were thinking on these lines, the conversation on sustainability became stronger. And the gentleman who headed the corporation at that time turned around and said that, well, if you're going to do all of this in water, you might as well uh, take it a little bit more and start working on sustainability. So that's how I ended up in sustainability and uh, discovered that it was a far, vast and fascinating space. 
And while things like, you know, ensuring agriculture resilience or food security for the country were inspiring, the possibility of making even a tiny difference uh, in this climate situation for the entire world was even more inspiring. And I thought that would be a wonderful way to continue my career. Oh, well, well, thank you for that story and for the background. And, you know, even if it has been a number of somewhat fortuitous uh, circumstances, it's clearly brought you to a very uh, unique and, and, and interesting place. And I, I want to ask you as a follow-up, you know, being a sustainability leader as yourself, so much of what you're doing is pioneering. It's, it's being the first or really pushing the envelope. You know, so what motivates you as a sustainability leader uh, to keep going? I can safely tell you the motivation is not to be a pioneer. That is incidental and it is a fallout, perhaps of other people not doing what we are doing now. The motivation is simply this. We keep asking the question. One, of course, is since we have a problem at the level of the planet and the people, what is the right thing to do? And there I am fortunate to be in a group of companies whose ethos has always been to identify the right thing to do and move in that direction. So we get a lot of support. That said, we also ask that if this conversation is about sustainability, then as a corporation, we've got to ask that what will make the corporation more sustainable? We cannot stop at doing one or two projects and say, hey, we are a part of this game, because that really means nothing. So. Uh, we keep asking the question, what will make the corporation successful, uh, more sustainable? How do we know that we are doing enough? And are we really moving the needle in any way? Now, when we ask these questions, this is what leads us to taking on uh, goals like joining the SBT or saying that we will be carbon neutral because, you know, after all, the Paris Agreement makes it very clear that when it comes to carbon, the logical end point is to be carbon neutral or carbon positive. So there's no reason why a corporation should not contribute in that, uh, in, in that journey. Similarly, when we look at uh, the area of water, which we all know is going to be a very big problem in the world, certainly in India, we ask the question, what is the logical thing to do? So one, of course, is to be water efficient, which means use less water for a uh, unit of input. For, for a unit of output, sorry. At the same time, at the community level, is there a way in which we can make sure that water availability can be enhanced? Now, when you ask questions like this, you take on goals like being water positive in the overall level, at the same time trying to be water secure at the local level. And that's what has led us to uh, doing work in one of our factories, which now no longer needs to take water from the municipal corporation for more than 200 days of the year, because they do enough harnessing and storing and uh, increasing efficiency of water consumption. So these are just two examples of how we set goals uh, and why we set these goals, because unless you make a, an impact or a tangible difference, it's just a bunch of nice things to do uh, which we'll, we'll all be happy about, but we really won't move the needle. Maybe that's what leads you to calling us pioneers and leaders and so on, but that's really a, 
a fallout of the actions taken and the core focus is always on what do we do to make sure that a the corporation is sustainable in the long run b we are making a difference to the community and doing enough by which we can you know legitimately say that the action being taken is is significant i don't know if it's enough because you know the climate work uh, maybe nothing is enough at this point in time but at least as much as we can do well i hope it's not too late <laughs> and i hope that the work that you're doing is inspires others to do more and and maybe we can avoid the worst of the catastrophes to come hmm yes i hope so too uh, but at the same time one must be pragmatic and i do think that there is uh, an opportunity that is ahead of us which uh, which we will have to leverage which is figure out technologies uh, by which we can take carbon out of the air and use it usefully uh, it's almost inevitable there's no point being an ostrich with the head in the sand and i don't know whether my group will uh, get into technologies and businesses that can do that but as a worldwide industries we will have to find a way to do this i think it will be a great business opportunity apart from all the positive impacts that it will have on climate action yes and i think a number of models are showing that without some sort of uh <clears throat> whether you call it geoengineering or direct air capture or use of uh, sequestered carbon, that we're not going to be able to meet mm -hmm. those goals set under the Paris Agreement. That's right. I agree with you. Uh, are there any final thoughts or anything that we didn't cover yet that you would like to share with us? If there is anything else uh, that is worth saying, it is probably this, that uh, most of the conversation with the corporation is about greening its own business which is reducing its footprint being more responsible in production and consumption and so on i think a bigger consumption uh, conversation is about new businesses new technologies which enable climate action we need people to invest in them and we need them need people to grow them as businesses we cannot have renewable energy unless there are a lot of businesses that invest in renewable energy and grow it as a business similarly uh, we know green buildings are critical so we need people to invest in building green buildings so that you know the building foot the carbon footprint of buildings in the world keeps going down within the corporate within our mahindra group we call it growing green revenue and we've invested in things like green buildings renewable energy waste to energy recycling of automobiles micro irrigation and a host of other businesses which by its very nature uh, by the very nature of these businesses they enable uh, strong climate action and whoever adopts this technology uh, also helps in the journey to fight climate change for the group uh, these are i would think multi billion dollar businesses for the future simply because the problem is so large to solve so i think that's an important conversation that industry and corporations need to have about how much of their port business portfolio in the future can be considered green uh, compared to what it is today uh, the more it moves towards green revenue 
the better, the stronger will be our ability to fight uh, climate change. Well, Anirban Ghosh, thank you so much for joining us on the Impact Report. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You can learn more about the Mahindra Group by visiting mahindra.com and following them on Facebook and Instagram. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, March 15th, when we will be speaking with Keely Tillotson, co-founder and CEO of Wild Friends Foods. For our complete lineup and other news, visit us at impactreportpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The Bard MBA in Sustainability is one of a select few graduate programs globally that fully integrates sustainability into a core business curriculum. Learn more at bard.edu slash MBA.